following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. How are y'all doing? Cool. Um, so like Andrew said, my name is Josh. I'm a, a pastor here at Canyon Ridge, among many of the other pastors, and Excited to speak to you this morning on Connect Four. We're talking about four relationships that our church needs to connect to in order to be the person, be the church that God has called us to be. And the first week, we talked about the Sunday School Answer, connecting to Jesus. Last week, we talked about connecting as a church. And this week, I'm going to tell you in a little bit what we're going to be talking about, but it's going to be on the topic of spiritual growth. And so I want to jump right into the passage in 2 Peter Verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add To your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. It's a long list, but we're going to be going through it. Because he says, if you do all these things, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You join me in a quick word of prayer. God, thanks for this message today. God, we want to grow up in you, Jesus, because we know that growth is is not accidental, God. Growth is intentional, and we have to be intentional about growing up in you because we want to be able to follow you and know all the good things that you've planned for us, Jesus. In your precious name we pray, amen. So in in verse 3, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. So we need to connect as a church with, with our potential, with our, our godly life. God has, has created us for good works. In fact, Ephesians 2.10 says that for we are God's masterpiece or his handiwork created in Christ Jesus. When we're born again in Christ Jesus, we're created for, in Christ Jesus for good works, which God planned in advance for us to do. In other words, God has a plan for your life. God has things he wants to do, and he created you to do these things. And so as, as, as a church, we need to help people connect to their God-given potential. And that we do through spiritual growth. But we find ourselves stuck a lot of times. We find ourselves not living the life that God has called us to. We find ourselves kind of like just trapped a little bit in, in a certain rut of life. And so... What do we do? Why does this happen? I think it happens in the very next verse. The very next verse describes this. It says, the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. In other words, we all have evil desires. And and the Bible is saying that the corruption in the world is a result of a lot of our evil desires. You know, people have good in them, but also people have bad. There's bad in us. If you don't believe me, just have children. And just see when they come out, there's no selfishness 101. You don't have to have a kid that, to say, okay, when, when somebody else takes the toy from you, now I want you to scream mine and say no and yell and just scream really loudly. 
There's, no, there's none of that. We are just natural that. It even happens in my beautiful seven-year-old son, Marco. Marco was letting me know this week how uh, when he was at school, there was a kid that tried to trip him. And Marco, being a smart little boy, moved out of the way. And instead of the boy tripping him, the boy lost his balance. And so Marco kind of put his foot out. And the boy tripped over Marco and fell down. Now, Marco's rationalization was that, hey, he deserved it because he, tripped, he tried to trip me. And I think that's where a lot of us end up. We try to say, oh, it's okay because of X, whatever. Insert your excuse here. We try to say that, that uh, oh, well, it was okay. And, and so we, it's, it's really the, the basis of our evil desires. The Bible even tells us that. In James 1, it says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. You see, God didn't make you do it. The devil didn't make you do it. A lot of us are dragged away by our own evil desires. And we, we dragged away in, into to places in our life where, that are astray, that are not from what God planned for us to do. And so we're, we're dragged away, and, and we, we want to, to push for things in our life. We want things in our life. We have desires. And nobody has more goals than me. I, I set a bunch of goals, and I want to do them. And maybe you want to get that six-pack, so go for it. Or, or maybe you want to read a book a week or a book a day, so go for it. You know, all of these things that we want to do. But sometimes we can get so focused on what we want, on what we desire, that we can lose track of, of, of how we are. We get so focused on wanting to change others, wanting to change the world, that we don't realize sometimes that it's us that needs to change. And so we can get stuck in our lives because of this. We can get stuck in a rut of our own rottenness. Stuck because we have these evil desires inside of us. A lot of times we think it's good. We rationalize it's good. We say, I want to do these things. I want to focus on this change. But in the midst of that, we forget that we need humility. And a lot of times, the change needs to happen in us. We need to focus on this change. My, my wife and I and my family, we lived in transitional housing for the homeless for a little while as pastors to this. And there was a woman, she was our neighbor, and my wife, we were trying to be nice. My wife invited her over one time to come have dinner with us. Apparently, she thought that that invitation meant like she could come over any time at any day of, of, of the week, any, any time of, of that day to come over. And, and be, so it ended up being okay. You know, we loved her. We were trying to be there for her. But one thing we noticed about her is that she always complained about what other people didn't do or what other people did to her. And as, as things happened, she had opportunities that she missed and things that didn't happen in her life because she was so focused on how complaining about what others did or did not do for her. And she missed the things that happened in her life. Or she was so focused on what she wanted that she didn't at times get, get to take of those opportunities. And so we see that in our lives, there's a lot of times where we miss out what God wants to do with, for us because we are, are living for our own desires, living for our own, kind of what the Bible says, our own evil desires. And we lack humility in all of that. Have you ever kind of driven somewhere and you've just kind of like, for me, I, I drive to the church now and I've driven here enough to know that, 
you know, I don't have to think about driving here anymore. And that just kind of becomes on autopilot, right? You're just driving and you just, you make it there. You don't even have to think about the turns you're making anymore. You just go, go there. Well, I think sometimes that's how we live our lives. We just kind of live on autopilot. I want these things. I want to do these things. I want to I make it here. I want to change this, this I want to change the world. I want to change careers. I want to change a relationship. And so we, we just keep pushing, but we don't realize, man, am I really in the right place? Am I really what God is calling me to do? And so God's power says, God's power has given us everything we need to live a godly life. God's power wants to flow in us and through us. But sometimes we, I feel like that, that river that's trying, that God's trying to flow through us, that power that some of our own evil desires, some of the, own, the baggage that we're carrying can, can like clog up that river. And so it can't flow through us. It can't flow into what God wants to do. But God has promised that he wants to do things. He's promised, he said, I, I want to do things. God has a bunch of promises in the Bible. He says, I want to I I fight for you. I want to give you a purpose. I want to supply your needs. God wants to comfort us when we're down. He wants to be with us wherever we go. And I love this one in Galatians 5.1. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by yoke of slavery. God is called to set us free, and he wants us to stand firm in his freedom. I think this means, means we need to be rooted in Jesus so that we can see the work that he wants to do in our lives because he wants to do a work in our lives. He's promised that he's going to do that. And so we, we need to think about how can we connect with his power. I just brought this, bought this slingshot the other day, and it's supposed to have a lot of power, Right? Um, but I was trying to figure out how to use this. So I was figuring maybe you guys could help me figure out how to use the slingshot because it didn't seem to be working right. You all paying attention? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but uh, but I, so I was trying to use it the other day, and, and, I, said, and I, was, I was going to shoot it, and it's supposed to go really far, but here's what I was doing. So maybe you can tell me what I'm doing wrong. Didn't go anywhere. So I was like, maybe this is faulty. Maybe I should, or maybe it was like the, the marshmallow was too heavy. So maybe I need like another marshmallow. So I was trying to figure out, and so I, I, I did it, and I was like, and it didn't go anywhere. Can you guys help me? What, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to pull. Pull. Okay, let's try it. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Perfect. I didn't hit anybody. Uh, <laughs> unless you want me to. Anybody want a marshmallow? <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to talk to you today about the power of the pull. The power of the pull. That there is a pull that God wants to do in our lives. God wants to pull us towards the purpose that he would have for us. He wants to pull us towards the life that he would have for us. And so I want to talk to you today about the power of the pull. Because the power to grow and live the life God has called us to is in the pull of God. And so I want to talk to you about four reasons why we need to grow spiritually and four reasons uh, kind of processes, too, of how we grow spiritually. And I'm going to use the word pull because, you know, I like alliteration or acronyms. And so the first one is, is P, it's, it's purpose. The, the reason that we need to, to follow the pull of God is because we need to be pulled into his purpose. And uh, it says in, in the, the passage we read today that we need to add to our faith goodness, 
The, word, the Greek word for goodness is moral excellence. In other words, moral, right behavior, kind of doing the right thing, and excellence, that we're doing it to the best of our ability. And so we all want to follow the right path, the right thing, to the best of our ability. And, and God has, wants you to be excellent. He knows that he created each one of us different. So we're not going to all, all have the, the, same, the exact same way that we're being morally excellent, the exact, exact right thing. There is something that's right for us. There's a right path for you. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. In other words, God had an idea of you. In the halls of heaven, God imagined you. And he thought up you and he said, I'm going to take a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I'm just going to specifically form this person. And I'm going to have in my mind a purpose for this person. And so I'm going to create them for this purpose. This is that the good works that we planned long ago for us to do. God had that. And then when he sent you down into your mother's womb and you were born and he had this idea in mind, he didn't just leave you alone. He didn't just say, okay, now you go do it. You, you figure it out. God came down and he's been involved in your life ever since you were being formed in your mother's womb, trying to help you to lead you into the purpose that he's created you with. He wants to, you to follow that, and he's going to be by your side to help you do that. God imagined these things for you. And yet so many in our, at times in our life, we want to try to push for the purpose of God in our life or just push for any kind of purpose. We want to see things happen. We want to make it happen ourselves. And so in our, in our ambition, we move forward and strike out on our own and say, this is what I want to do. I know for me, when I was in college, uh, I had a girlfriend who was my first girlfriend at the time, and um, my, well, yeah, my first girlfriend at the time, and um, you know we were dating for about a year and a half, and I really wanted it to work out. Her dad didn't want her dating a guy, much less a white guy. She was Asian, and I, I was white, and so I still am white. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, but uh, so we were dating, and so anyways, our our relationship was really going nowhere. Like this was not gonna gonna work. And so after a year and a half, you know, we just kind of called it quits and we broke up. And um, I remember just feeling like really distraught that night. And so I went, I couldn't go to sleep. So I stayed up the whole night and I, I remember sitting down by a dumpster just watching the sunrise. So I was literally down in the dumps. And so I was, I was like watching this happen. And what I didn't realize though is that God would use that situation to bring a friend into my life and that friend would pull me into church and bring, invite me into this church. And I went into this church, and I kind of had a stereotype of Christians and thought they were all Bible thumpers and nerds. And I saw this church where there were real people worshiping Jesus. And I remember thinking there must be something to the spirituality stuff. And that started me on a quest to follow Jesus and to grow in my faith. And then, and then later on, I met somebody better. And she was also my girlfriend, and then she became my wife. And God had planned for my wife today to be, to be my wife. And, and it's a much better relationship these days because God plans something better for me. I'm getting brownie points with my wife right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, but that's what happens, right? We want to push for something. We see it in our, in our, oh, I want this so bad. And I had wanted that relationship with my girlfriend so bad that I was so distraught that I couldn't sleep 
But yet God had a better plan and a better purpose for me that he was trying to pull me into that I couldn't see at that moment. And so God says in, in, in John 15, 16, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. It's very important that we know who chose who. We think that we, we figure things out, that we come to church, that we make the relationships. But God says, no, that's not how it works. You didn't choose me. I, I chose you. And it's important to know that because this is not like I chose you like a credit card, you know, where there's going to be interest rates on God. But God's, this, this is like God inviting us over for dinner. When, when I invite somebody over to dinner to our house and my, my wife and I have, have somebody, have a couple or a, a person come over for dinner, we know that we are, we're going to clean up that house, our house. We're going to have the food ready. We're going to prepare a place for that person because we know if they're invited, if they're chosen, that also means they're wanted. That means that they are invited, that they're wanted there, and that we've prepared a place for them. God has prepared a place for you. You are invited. You are chosen. You are wanted. God walked through the halls of heaven, and when he saw you, he said, I want you. I want you. And warts and all, scars and all, everything different and all, God chose you. He wanted you, and as he's chosen you, he also has a place for you. He wants a purpose for you. He wants you to do some great things which he prepared long ago. It's not like, like you accepted Jesus or you accepted God, and then God said, Oh, myself, now, now I need to, to figure out what this person is going to do with, when they're living a life with me. Hope you got the joke. Oh, myself, he's God. Oh, God, okay. All right, it's not funny if I have to explain it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so, so we want to stop, we got to stop pushing. We've got to stop pushing and, and start spending more time with God so that God can pull us into the relationship that he wants with us. Because God wants to be there for you. And he wants, and it's super hard, guys. Like, I know. I know it's hard to turn our whole lives, turn our whole agenda over to God. And, and to say, God, are you going to really be there for me? Do you really have something good for me? But we, we see a character in the Bible that did this, um, Abraham. Abraham was a, an old guy. God promised Abraham that he would have, his, his, through his offspring, the world would be blessed. Now, Abraham was 90-something years old, and, and Sarah, his wife, was also 90-something years old, well past the, the age of being able to bear children. And yet, the Bible says that Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. But that belief didn't just mean that he believed in a theory that God was going to be true. But God asked, actually told Abraham, leave this place and go to the land I will show you. Not the, the land that, that you got to take these steps, kind of like a GPS and follow this, and here's how you're going to get there. But he just said, go to the land I will show you. So Abraham was probably like, hey, a hint would be good, like this way or that way or that way or where do I go? But God said, go to the land, I will show you. What he was saying is, trust me, Abraham, just take a step of faith and trust me that I'm good, that I am going to lead you to the place that I promised you. God has a promise for your life and he has something, he want, a place he wants to take you. I love um, a quote from Michelangelo um, supposed quote, I don't know if it's true or not, but he, Michelangelo was a great sculptor, probably one of the greatest sculptors ever. 
And there's a quote saying that he was looking at a slab of marble. And he said, there's an angel in this marble, and I want to set him free. See, that's how I think how God looks at us. He says, I see the person that I've created in you. And I see the, the calling that I've planted in you and the purpose that I have for you. And, and you're d- this rough stone right now. But I'm going to use the circumstances of your life, even as difficult as they are, and chip off some of the things because I see the person that I've created in you and I want to set that person free so they can come out and fully live in all of the things that God has planned for you because he's planned good things. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And that's the kind of God we serve, that he, we would follow him so that he could chisel that character into us that, he, that he's created in us. Look at your neighbor and say, you look chiseled. You look chiseled. He wants to chisel those things into us, that we would become the character that God wants us to be. And so the, the Bible says to, to add to our goodness, okay, stop telling him that. <laughs> Maybe somebody might get a date out of here. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but uh, but uh, he said to add to your goodness knowledge and self-control. The Greek word for knowledge is understanding, that we would be pulled into God's understanding of who we are. And so sometimes we need to say to ourselves, everything must go. Everything must go. Now, my wife likes to see the sign at stores. She's a bit of a bargain hunter. And so she likes to see everything must go. But what I learned about stores from working a little bit in retail is that they don't just say the sign just to bless us financially. They say everything must go because they have stuff that's not profitable and they want to replace it with stuff that is profitable. Now, how would we look at our lives if we thought like this? There is things, there is understandings of ourselves that are not profitable, and we need to replace those things with what is profitable. The Israelites experienced this. The Israelites, when God was trying to deliver them out of Egypt and out of Pharaoh's hand and being in slavery for hundreds of years, that God was trying to take them out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, the Bible would say. And so he was trying to take them out out of Egypt. And so we know the story. I'm sure you've seen the movie. Um, There was 10 plagues, and God did all these miraculous things to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. And so the Israelites get to the Red Sea, and they're thinking, okay, things are going to be great. Now how are we going to cross this place? And then they see Pharaoh's army with the chariots and horses coming up, and they're going to get killed. And they think to themselves, man, it would be better for us to have been slaves in Egypt than to die out here in the wilderness. And so here are all these miraculous things that God has done to deliver them from slavery. And they think that, that the God who valued them enough to do the ten, 10 plagues is not the God that's going to value them enough to deliver them from, from Pharaoh's army. And I think somehow we can think like them sometime because they were still holding on to that identity as slaves. That had been, the identity had been pushed onto the Israelite people for hundreds of years, and they had assumed that identity. Sometimes we can get saved from Jesus, but we can still not change our identity that's been pushed onto us. Maybe our parents said, oh, you're never going to amount to anything. Or a friend said, hey, you're not, you're not worth anything. Or, or somebody, somebody in our lives 
had a threat in our lives and put us down, and we assumed that identity. We took on that identity. It's something that's not profitable. It's not helpful. It's not godly. It's not of God, and it's something that must go. We can't be like the Israelites and hold on to these things because really they weren't free. They were just runaway slaves. Are you truly free in Jesus or are you just a runaway slave from a previous identity that you're still holding on to? God wants to set you free. He wants to free your understanding. So we've got to say everything must go. Everything must go. We've got to look at our bitterness and say, bitterness, you have to go because God is creating in me a new life, a new purpose. He has a plan for me. We have to look at our anger and say, anger, you have to go because no longer am I going to stay angry at things and holding me down, being stuck in an anger that's holding me back. God, you want to give me peace. And so I'm going to replace this anger with peace. Or we've got to, got to look at our fear and say, fear, you have to go because God has a new plan for me in my life and he's replacing you with faith. And so fear, you've got to go because I have a greater faith that God's going to bring me into something. We've got to say everything must go. You know, um, in a Word document on a computer, there's a, a function on there called find and replace. And so it will, when you have kind of words and you want to replace those words, We've got a, you can use the function find and replace to replace all those words. It's a lot easier than trying to go through the document and find each word and replace it. Trust me, I've been there. Um, but, but I feel like that's kind of what we have to do in our lives. We have to find some of those things that are not helpful, some of those identities that we've taken on in our life because of other people have pushed, us, pushed them onto us and say, we've got to let those go because they're continually pushing us back and pushing us down and stunting our growth. Sometimes maybe we, those things kind of pop up. I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but you're in a situation and somebody says something and it just triggers a previous memory in your mind. And so you'll respond out of that, uh, that uh, previous memory. Not, because, not necessarily because the person really meant anything bad, but just because of a previous circumstance that you had, you just, you just react. It's just a trigger. You just respond out of this thing because it's something that has not been found and replaced in your life. So we need a filter for our thoughts. We need to take our thoughts captive. Second Corinthians 10.5 says, we demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, against the understanding of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You see, we need to measure our thoughts against Scripture. So many times we just allow thoughts to freely flow through our head. I'm trying to say that three times fast. To freely flow through our head um, and, and just kind of hold back our mind. But we've got to have a filter for our thoughts. We've got to say, thought, where did you come from? And thought, where are you going? Where did it come from? Did it come from God? Is this a godly thought that I'm having? Or, and, and, and thought, where are you going? What is the consequence of this thought? Is it something that, that is right for me, that is helpful for me? Or is this something that's going to hold me back? And so we've got to replace that with noble thoughts. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So we've got to replace these negative thoughts. We've got to have a filter to take them captive and make them obedient to Christ. Because anybody have crazy thoughts? 
I mean crazy thoughts at times. Am I the only one? You can polish your halo or you can help me preach this thing. Anybody, anybody ever had crazy thoughts, right? Um, yeah, things, crazy thoughts. I mean, like, you think, like, you're thinking about something, you know, and, and you, I think my kids have told me some crazy thoughts at times. I won't go into it. Okay. <laughs> um, but, but there's been times, you know, this happens. And so we've got to have a filter for our thoughts to say, are you a godly thought? And then we've got to replace them. When we start thinking about godly things, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, when we start thinking about those things, we, our mind becomes too busy thinking about the things of God. And there's no room left for these negative things, these negative thoughts, these negative understandings of ourselves to be there. Second, or third, actually, we've got to love God. It says to add perseverance and godliness to, to, um, to our, to our self-control. See, the foundation for godliness is perseverance, that we've got to add godliness on top of perseverance. We've got to persevere through the trials of life, and we persevere by persevering in a relationship with God. Sometimes we think we have to persevere through our own effort, and really that's religion. Religion says you do all these things, and then you'll be accepted. Do all these things, and then you'll be godly. Relationship says, Jesus says, I've done all these things for you. Now you're free to be godly. It doesn't mean that I have, I, I have a, a, a foundation of my own righteousness. The foundation for our righteousness is Jesus Christ and everything he's done. So the condemnation we feel from people, the condemnation we even feel from ourselves has no place in our lives. That we love God because God first loved us. That he was the one that came to help us. And we can, we can be physically fit through our own effort. We can be chiseled through our own effort. But we can't become godly through our own effort. Godly, godliness has more value than fitness. First um, Timothy 1, 8, 4, 8 says, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. You see, godliness changes our heart. And our, when, it chain, when, when, we, we, when we're in a relationship with God, when we love God, it changes our heart, which then changes our decisions, which then changes our life. That when we follow God, when we make a decision to follow Jesus, then that changes who we are. And that changes our lives. But nobody wants to come to a church and experience a, a church or experience a, a talk. That's all, it's all judgmental. We all know the bad things that we do, and we don't need people to tell us that. But what we need is for people to point us higher. We want to, we want to be a church where the love of God is shown, where when people come in from the street, they experience the love of Jesus in a profound way, that they see that the love of God is here, that the Holy Spirit is here, that there, that there is someone that is going to be by their side and help them to be all that God has called them to, meet, to be. Because God doesn't need us. Acts 17.25 says, and he, is not, and he being God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God is the foundation for our lives. So why do we think that God needs anything from us? God doesn't need anything from us. I love this quote. It said, holiness is not what God wants from you. Holiness is what God wants for you. God wants you to live a holy life. He wants you to experience the great things that he has for you. And so you get to come to church. Gone are the days where we say, oh, I have to come to church. 
I hope that we can be a church that people say, hey, I get to go to church because I get to experience the love of God. I get to be filled this week with hope and affirmation and purpose and all of the things that God wants to instill in my life. And I need that because I face trials each and every day of the week. And so I need a God who can come and fill me up through church so that I can come here and find the fulfillment, that I can come and read my Bible during the week and, and find what God is calling me to do. And then finally, we need to love others. First um, John 4, 7, 8 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. You see, the, the passage says, add mutual affection to our love. Love is the ultimate aim of the Christian life. That you would come here and you would experience love, and then you'd be able to give that love away to others. Because you can't give away what you don't have. And when you come to church and you come to be a part of a group, and you come be a part of the things we have, and when you come and you spend time alone with God in your word, you get filled up with love, and that love can then change your life. Galatians 5.22 says the fruits of this, talks about the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And if everyone, anybody have enough, enough love or, or peace or self-control in their lives? No, we all need that. And God is the source of all of those things, that we would come to him and that he would, we, as, we, as we come to him and spend time with him, he will grow us in all of those things so that we'll all have those things in exceeding measure, overflowing to others. That's what I like to think. I like to think about my heart is like a cup, and I can only pour out what's in it. And so when, when, when my heart is overflowing with love, then that can overflow to my wife, to my kids, to my friends, to the church, to, to all of the parts. But if I don't get that myself, if I don't take care of myself and make sure that I get those things, then I can't give others what I don't have. And so we've got to be able to experience those things. Like 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. And Jesus first loved us. Jesus came and he showed us what love is. Jesus came and he took the form of a servant, but he didn't have to. He was a king. He is a king. And he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings and the, and, and the, the greatest one there is. And so he didn't have to take the form of a servant. And yet he came and he, he suffered with us and he, he walked with us. And Jesus didn't have to do that. He had angels that could have attended him at any moment. He could have had any, uh, called a, a legion of angels to come and attend on his every need. Jesus didn't have to do that. Jesus didn't have to take up the cross. And yet Pilate and, and the Jewish leaders, they thought they were pushing Jesus to the cross. And the people, when they yelled, crucify him, they thought that they were pushing Jesus to the cross. But what they didn't realize is that Jesus was being pulled by a greater purpose because what he saw in the cross is he saw you and me. And he saw the salvation of each and every one of us, that each and every one of us would be set free because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so he said, I lay my life down on my own accord because he saw something greater. And so Hebrews 12.1 says that that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus came that and gave himself up, not because he was pushed, but because he was pulled by God to something greater. And I think God has a pull on your life 
towards something greater, that he wants to enact and implement in your life. And I pray that each one of us would spend the time to grow spiritually with God. And so I want you guys to read this chapter. It's, it's um, 2 Peter 1. Just read it. My, my simple challenge to you is to read this chapter every day of this week, every morning, just this one chapter. Just keep reading this one chapter. And, and then take a step of faith that is greater than what you think you could do. That you would start believing, trusting God for something greater in your life. And that you would take that step and begin to see what God would happen. And I'd love to hear about it. I'd love to hear about it. Um, you can email me. You can, um, I think my, my it's joshua.shulkind at, at explorecrc.com. But I'd love to hear about your story. Or there's another one. It's called stories at explorecrc.com. I'd love to hear about what God is doing in your life. Let me, let me close this in prayer and then we'll, we'll move on. God, thank you for this. Thank you for this talk. Thank you for what you're doing in the lives of, of, of the people in this church. And I pray, God, that you would help us to trust you, to know that you are trying to pull us towards greater things. You're trying to pull us toward a purpose. So God, I pray that you would help us to, to see the step that you want us to take this week as we go out. God, that you would help us to, to be disciplined, to be able to, to stay close to you, not because we think you need it, but because we know we need it. Just like eating, just like breathing, we need your word in our lives. We need your hope. We need your presence, God. And I pray that would be there in greater abundance this week. In your precious name we pray. Amen.